Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Thanks very much. Andy Zoden here at the KickServeRadio.com studios in Denver, Colorado, joined by the International Tennis Hall of Famer, former seven-time Grand Slam champion, number one in the world, Mats Vlander, two-time Texas Longhorn All-American, Johnny Levine. He's down in Phoenix, Arizona. Mats is up in Sun Valley, Idaho. As mentioned before, I'm here in Denver, Colorado. Lots to get to. Uh, this week on KickServe, a couple of young Americans really showing out well in Vienna and St. Petersburg, respectively. Of course, I'm speaking of Francis Tiafo, who came up a little bit short against Alexander Zverev in the Vienna final, but played brilliant tennis along the way, uh, getting some amazing wins, maybe the best tournament of his life. Uh, Taylor Fritz getting to the final, coming up a little bit short against Marin Cilic in St. Petersburg. But again, two great results for those guys. Great to see the young Americans playing so well at this time of year. Now, the race to Turin is on, and it's it's been decided in large part, at least about six spots have been decided, but those last two spots are still up in the air, and there's lots of great players that are still uh, competing hard in both Paris and Stockholm will have a lot to do with who ends up in the ATP Tour Finals. Uh, Mats Vlander, some somber news for us to report. Uh, we were in Missoula Montana, And we're going to talk a little bit about that Pro-Am event that we went to uh, that Scott Potter put on in our Tennis Across America segment a little bit later in the show. Uh, you were the main headliner along with the Jensen brothers, Robert Kendrick, Jesse Witten, Brenda Schultz-McCarthy, 32 pros in all. The field was loaded. They were raising money uh, for a local children's shelter in Missoula, Montana. I believe they raised $100,000 uh, in that event alone. It was really incredible. And it was really fun being around Luke and Murphy Jensen. Uh, Luke Jensen has just taken a new job. Congratulations to him at the Garden of the Gods Club in Colorado Springs. So he'll be right down the road from me. He is right down the road from me. Uh, unfortunately, playing in an exhibition last Friday, Murphy came down to help his brother uh, get things off the ground there uh, in the Springs. Murphy suffered a, a, a health setback, a heart attack, and it's very, very scary. He has been hospitalized all weekend long. Nobody saw this coming, least of all Luke and Murphy. Uh, as we speak, Luke and Murphy's wife, Katie, are at his bedside, and we're getting reports on his health. Doctors are optimistic, but Matt Vlander, this is a very scary situation. No question about it. Yeah. Murphy looked amazing in Missoula. Uh, he played great tennis. Uh, uh, and uh, obviously, it's a big shock for all of us that somebody who's that healthy and, and looked fantastic. And then suddenly, a week later, here he goes, uh, has a heart attack. Uh, we're, we're crossing our fingers and uh, just wish him so much luck. And of course, Luke as well. Yeah, definitely want to send our best to the Jensen family. Obviously, Luke is, is at his side, as is uh, Murphy's wife, Katie. So uh, Murphy's a strong man, and, and we're, we're optimistic and we're confident this is serious stuff, but we're going to remain optimistic 
And I'm sure those of you that, that follow the sport of tennis are going to hear a little bit more about this. And hopefully you will be hearing good news in the coming days and weeks that Murphy Jensen will be back and better than ever. And with that, we will move to some current tennis items. Uh, Johnny Levine, you're a guy who really likes to keep his eye on the young up-and-coming American players above all else. And this was a good week for two in particular, uh, Francis Tiafo and Taylor Fritz. They both reached finals. Uh, it was uh, Francis Tiafo making the final in Vienna and playing a good match, but coming up a little short against Alexander Zverev. And then in St. Petersburg, same for Taylor Fritz, a tough three-set loss to Marin Cilic in that final. But I thought Tiafo in particular really with this result put a cherry on top of a tremendous 2021 season for him. Yeah, TFO's been playing just really, really a high level. We've talked about him right after the Open where he had a great run, beat Rublev, and uh, was just playing some big-time tennis. He's made a lot of improvements in his game. His serve has gotten bigger. His ground strokes are a lot more solid, especially off the forehand. And he's just competing hard, and he's not getting as discouraged as he used to on the court. Francis is probably one of the best athletes that uh, the tour has, and it's really showing. I mean, in in uh, Vienna, he just uh, really, really played great. I mean, he had some really, really top top wins. Um, he beat um, he beat Sitsipas, which was a great victory in three sets, and then he beat Schwartzman, and then he beat Sinner. I mean, those are three just huge wins um, back to back to back, and. I think his level, I, I really see Francis being a guy that can get to the top 10 in the world. Um, and I think, um, you know, obviously uh, Taylor Fritz had a great, great week as well in St. Petersburg. But my money right now is on Francis TFO. Matt's when Francis turned pro, uh, it was 18, 19 years of age. He came in and to use a football analogy, he was built like, Maybe a, maybe a free safety uh, on the backside of a defense. Now he looks a little more like a linebacker. I mean, to me, he almost looks like he is, maybe to use a boxing metaphor, he's jumped a weight class. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. He looks like he's hitting a bigger ball. What is it that you see in his game that, that has brought him to the level that he is now, and what's it going to take for him to jump into, as Johnny is calling for, uh, you know, a potential spot in the top ten one day? Well, first of all, I think it's talent. He's got tremendous uh, physical talent uh, and not, not just in, in his body uh, with strength and, and flexibility. Now he's shown that he can last long matches uh, and it's back to back to back. Uh, those, are, those are some tough tournaments when you have to play every day for three or four days in a row. So he showed that mentally. I always thought he was very strong as a junior. He was up there being at the same level as Sasha Zverev when they were kids, when they were 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Francis was up there. And then as soon as they turned pro, it seemed like Francis dropped off a little bit. I'm not sure uh, if, if the motivation wasn't as clear to him as it, as it is or was for Sasha Zverev. Uh, but I think right now, He's using his physicality. Uh, he was playing uh, with a lot of variety, very explosive tennis. He wasn't hanging around for too long uh, at the baseline. And then he was mixing it up. I always thought that he, had, he has a very good backhand. He's got a great forehand uh, when he's relaxed and he goes for it a little bit. But he was seeing some drop shots and coming to the net. Uh, and, uh, and that's extra strength has added 
uh, a few miles in the surf. So he's on his way in terms of finding how he needs to play tennis. Wayne Ferreira, I have to say, has done a tremendous job with Francis Tiafo. Uh, but uh, I think high hopes, we've always had high hopes for Francis Tiafo. I know that Jose Higueras used to work for the, of course, USDA um, a few years back when he was not used to, uh, when he was in charge of those guys. And he thought, I believe, that Francis was going to be the guy that he was hoping to take to the, to the top of the world rankings. And it's not too late, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Raleigh Opelka, Tommy Paul. These guys are the same age, approximately, and they are helping each other. And we're, we're seeing it now. And obviously, Sebastian Corda coming up right behind those guys. Johnny, when I was listening to your good friend, Paul Anacone, calling some of TFO's matches, you could, you could almost read Paul's mind when TFO almost was struggling a little bit with, for, for lack of a better description, talent management, right? You see this guy go for shots at times, and because of what Matt said, he is so supremely talented that he does make some awkward decisions at times that really would maybe be something that Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, or Rafael Nadal would not do at a certain time in a match. Do you think that's the next step for him is to just make sure that he he stays in proper lanes at four all, 30 all in sets and isn't trying to ooh and awe the crowd like he is capable of doing, but but maybe not choosing to do it at certain times in the match where he cannot take that risk? I think that's where Wayne Ferreira has um, has really helped Francis. I don't think we're seeing as much of that kind of looser tennis or tennis where he's not playing as much, um, you know, with his with his head. He's making some stupid shots at, at some big moments in in matches. He's not doing that as much. He's really playing consistently solid throughout the entire matches. And um, you know, Matt's pointed out he is playing up on that baseline. And he's really dictating points. The other thing that I think is is noteworthy, when you watch Francis play play his matches, I mean, he's really having fun out there. I think he's just playing very free. I think he's loose. He knows he can beat the, the big guys. He's done it in the past. It's just he hasn't shown the consistency. I don't know if it's because he's, you know, felt pressure, uh, you know, with the expectations on him. But, but somehow right now I feel like he's playing very, very loose and enjoying – enjoying himself out there. And it's really showing, um, like you say, Andy, I mean, in big matches now, big points, he's not playing those stupid shots, very consistent. Um, and I know he believes he can win. He's always said that he plays the big matches. Well, it's the, the matches that where he's supposed to win that he's struggled. And I think you were finding a lot more consistency in his game. All right. We've talked about a couple of Americans that are hot. When we come back, let's talk about a couple of Italians that are hot because Guess what? We might have two Italians in the top eight in Italy for the tour championships. And Mats Vlander has said the atmosphere there, if that happens, will be absolutely unlike anything we've seen in tennis in quite some time. So we'll get to that when we come back. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. A couple of young Italians in the ATP finals in Italy. Could it be? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I am joined by Squad Pod's head of strategy, Jenny Jerome. And Jenny, I have to ask you this question. There are so many new communication platforms and people are trying to accentuate privacy for obvious reasons. People are trying to stay out of trouble on social media. But why Squad Pod? 
SquadPod was built on privacy. So we were originally built for businesses, but we're finding that a lot of people are using us on college campuses because a student can say something, you know, kids being kids, and all of a sudden that's now come back, taken out of context, and it just bites them in the chuckus and it interferes with their job recruitment. It can interfere with them even getting into college, getting into grad schools. So we're used a lot and we have a really good focus whenever you're dealing with kids being kids, but also whenever you're dealing on the sports side with intramural sports or any type of team communication that you want to have between you and your players. So keeping our college youth out of trouble when it's time to enter the real world and protecting proprietary intellectual properties and everything in between is something that really can be protected by squad pod. Exactly. Another thing, Andy, that's important is you hear a lot about bullying. You hear a lot about stalking, things like that on social media. Well, with squad pod, because it's closed architecture, the people that you have in your squad, the people that you invite onto this app are only the people that you invite to the squad. So you're actually communicating with the people that you choose to have and that you choose to engage with. So it cuts down a lot on the bullying, things like that, because if somebody does get a little untoward, let's say on the app, you can just remove them and say, no, that kind of conversation does not belong on my team. Lots of advantages. She's Jenny Jerome. She is head of strategy at SquadPod. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. Check it out. It's squadpod.com. Go check it out right now. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We talked a lot about Francis Tiafo and Taylor Fritz in the previous segment. And now let's turn to the race for Turin because it's coming up. They're in Paris now. They'll be in Italy soon. And it is quite a dogfight. I mean, we've got four guys that really look for all the world like they are going to obviously be the top four seeds, that being Novak Djokovic at number one. Daniil Medvedev at two, Stefano Tsitsipas at three, Sasha Zverev at four, Andre Rublev is locked in at five, and Berrettini at six. This is where it gets interesting, guys. Kaspar Ruud is in there at seven for the moment, Yannick Sinner at eight, Rafael Nadal's at nine, but he's done for the season. He has shut it down. 10, 11, and 12 are all still mathematically in the mix, that being Hubert Hurkacz, Cameron Norrie, and Felix Auger-Aliassimi. Matt, you made the comment off air that if Matteo Berrettini and Yannick Sinner both qualify for Italy with this ATP Tour Championship final being played in Italy, that we will see an atmosphere that you said might be like World Cup soccer. Oh, absolutely huge. I mean, obviously, the ATP Finals have been a great, huge success at the O2 Arena in London. Uh, Andy Murray was part of the field there for many years. And, and with Roger and Rafa and Novak, of course, it's going to be a big event. But that, that just set the tone. We used to play that event at Madison Square Garden in New York. And I played 
uh, John McEnroe a couple of times there, and uh, they were going absolutely nuts. Vitas Gerlides as well in the event, and the New York crowd was going nuts. Now we're going to Turin in Italy, and they were hoping that the likes of Matteo Berrettini, Yannick Sinner, maybe even Fabio Fognini, Lorenzo Musetti, maybe Lorenzo Sonego, they were hoping for one Italian at least, now they might have two. That's going to be, the atmosphere is going to be incredible. Remember Yannick Sinner won the next gen championship in Milan a couple of years ago. So, I mean, it's incredible that, uh, that these guys are there. And uh, they, they deserve to be there. Matteo Bertini with the finals of Wimbledon, of course. Uh, and Yannick Sinner has such a, a consistent uh, a season. So, yes, Italians love their tennis. And they are going to have a... European soccer crowd uh, come to that stadium and uh, you really want to tune into that because that's going to be nothing like we've seen before uh, on the on the men's tour. Davis Cup is one thing but this is the best players in the world and there's two Italians possibly in the field. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Johnny, won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay this year. So we've had something similar but I have a feeling based on the way Matt is describing this that that, that, that Super Bowl crowd will pale in comparison to this Italian tennis crowd. Now, you have attended the ATP Tour Championships in London at O2 Arena. Talk about your experience and and what that crowd is like compared to, let's say, our crowds here at the U.S. Open. Yeah, the O2 Arena was a tremendous venue for the ATP World Tour Finals. I know they had sellouts in most of the sessions and um, the, the, the town really got behind the tournament and I think uh, the players loved it. Kind of sad, I'm sure, to see it go, but I know that uh, Turin ponied up and uh, it's going to be in Italy now and I'm, I'm sure it'll be a tremendous event. I actually was in the one prior to London, they had it in Shanghai. That was, that was a cool event as well. People understand what, what's at stake. I mean, it's basically the year-end top eight guys I know some of them are tired, but you've typically got number one rankings on the line and there's big prize money and uh, the players are, are really excited to be there. So I, I think it's a unique event. Like Matt said, it was it was always cool to see it in Madison Square Garden. And these players, I mean, that they're real. One of the goals of, of all these guys that are in the top 20 is to make a year end final. I know Marty Fish reached his goal of getting it. Um, and Jack Sock got there. So this is going to be a tremendous event, and uh, it'll be fun to see how Sinner and uh, if Sinner makes it, and then Berrettini, see how they do in their home court. So, Matt, with all of that being said, um, how much of this is going to be used as a lead-in for some of these players? Isn't this more of a celebration of what they did in 2021, or let's – kind of use this as a springboard to a strong 2022 or maybe obviously a little bit of both. Yeah, I think it depends on how you come in there. I mean, obviously uh, someone like Novak Djokovic uh, hasn't played since the U.S. Open. I'm not sure uh, what he's going to be like coming in there. And maybe for him, this is kind of the start of the next season um, and then keep it going through December. And then obviously the Australian Open is coming up. Uh, but the interesting thing for me is that we've had Sasha Zverev won it. Didn't do very well straight after. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov also won it. Had a horrible season the year after. Stefanos Tsitsipas won it. Uh, and he did all right. Daniel Medvedev. So these young guys have won it. So this is not 
uh, the same as the Grand Slam because it is two out of three sets. You can get on the roll a little bit because obviously you play, you play um, I believe it's five matches over eight days, and, and that's quite a lot of tennis. So I think that anyone could win it. The surface is very neutral, um, doesn't really favor anyone except uh, Rafa Nadal actually has never won the uh, ATP finals because of the surface that they play on. So it's not great for somebody that spins the ball and plays a lot of defense, but it calls for incredibly entertaining tennis. That's all. Uh, uh, that's all I remember watching uh, from the OT arena. It, it's amazing how these players move on a court uh, where they know that they're not going to slide. The bounce is perfect. No wind, no sun. It's really showcasing how incredibly precise and what great athletes these uh, these male tennis players are these days. Well, and first things first, before we get to Turin, we're in Paris right now. And a couple of interesting results there, Johnny. I don't know if you saw, you know, Matt's just made the comment that Novak Djokovic hasn't played since the U.S. Open. Well, as of today, he has. Because he and Philippe Krajinovic, his countryman, uh, won a three-set doubles, had a three-set doubles win uh, over Alex Dimonar and I can't remember who he was playing with, but it was uh, it was quite entertaining doubles, and they had to come back to win that. So kind of interesting to see Djokovic coming back and playing doubles as if this is just kind of early in the season and he's just having fun. And maybe maybe that is a lead into Davis Cup. I don't know if those guys are going to play a little Davis Cup doubles or what. I haven't seen any of the schedule there. And then a more interesting result was Dominic Kepfer, who uh, you may remember him from having lost to Roger Federer at the French Open, and then it would be the next uh, round that Federer would would pull out of the tournament and leaving Kepfer there going, wow, I could have easily gone on in this tournament. Well, Kepfer is a lucky loser last week in both the singles and the doubles. He gets another lucky loser this week, has to go out on short notice and play Andy Murray, and saves seven match points to beat Andy Murray, who seems like he's been the busiest guy on tour in the last couple of months, uh, Dominic Keffer, a guy that played college tennis at Tulane. Yeah, I couldn't believe that result. I was actually, you know, I don't watch much of this during the day because I'm working, but I did notice that Brooksby was playing Murray, and I, I just cannot believe that Murray had seven match points. I mean, that is amazing. But anyways, I, I think this Paris tournament is going to be great. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but TFO plays Marcus Giron in the first round, and Giron in the first round of the qualies, he actually qualified, was down five love to, I believe, Jill Simone. A couple of Americans going to have battle it out. I think I'm picking TFO, but I'll tell you, Garone has been playing some tremendous tennis. I think he's top 60 in the world now. Um, so that'll be interesting. Unfortunately, Mackie McDonald lost in the first round, and um, Tommy Paul did qualify and Sebastian Corda had a huge win. He beat Carrazzo seven, six in the third. So this, this is going to be a pretty good tournament. I, you got to be proud of these Americans for making some good showings. Uh, Carrazzo is a guy that Corda has just had his number all year. And, and Matt's, we've kind of been waiting on Corda. It's been a little bit of an up and down year, but it's been an up and down year for all of these American players. It seems like from, from show to show, we are spotlighting another American for having done so well. It's been Riley Opelka at different times, obviously with Sebastian Corda for having a great run at Wimbledon, and uh, and most recently, obviously, TFO and Taylor Fritz. Tommy Paul has sprinkled in a few nice results in there as well. As we go into 22, 
is is TFO the guy that you have to hit your wagon to in terms of American hopes, Matts, or or would you maybe give Opelka the nod based on the year that he's had? You know, it's really hard. I mean, I I, um, I read that uh, interview Riley Opelka did um, that way was real uh, incredibly honest about some of the uh, tennis media and the reporters, right. and he wasn't. Uh, uh, he wasn't he wasn't that impressed with that. But he did say somebody asked him if America is going to have a a world champion, a Grand Slam champion, a, a future number one out of your, you guys. And he said, no, no chance. Uh, I think that these guys are helping each other along. They've all matured uh, together. Now they're on tour uh, they get into every single tournament. They're making enough money where they don't have to worry about that. Uh, and they're fighting for a spot in the American uh, Davis Cup team. Uh, they're fighting in finals on tour. So I think that it seems like everybody has sort of taken a breath and relaxed a little bit. And Taylor Fritz and Raleigh Opelka and Francis Tiafo and, of course, Tommy Paul, Sebastian Court, they have big, big game. The question is, and I guess that's what, what I always wonder, and we assume that everybody has the goal to be the best player in the world and they're going to win a Grand Slam tournament. Well, I never had the goal to be the best player in the world because I never thought I could and I didn't really care. I was just trying to improve myself. And I think they're helping each other and this is so important. As long as one guy steps out uh, sort of every month and he makes that result that tells the other guy, hey, come on. Uh, and so now Francis Tiafo beating so many top guys in Vienna. I mean, that's going to light a fire under everybody. Taylor Fritz getting to finals. So I really have to say Tiafo can be a future t- top 10, like you thought, Johnny. Taylor Fritz can be a future top 10. Rally Opelka serves absolutely bombs. Uh, and he can consistently fight with, with the best. And then Sebastian Corda, who's most probably the most talented of all of them. So, no, America, it, it, it's looking very bright. They need to take one more step in the ranking, all of them, and then somebody needs to win a big one. And then I think everybody starts believing. But they're coming. They're coming. All right. When we come back, let's, uh, let's change it up a little bit. Let's talk women's tennis. Because if you think there were question marks with regard to the men's game, this this 2021 ladies tour, uh, boy, oh boy, I don't even know where to start with everything that we saw this year, but we'll try to break it down when we come back on KickServeRadio.com. Don't go away. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's Vlander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, Seven-time Grand Slam champion, Mats Vlander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with Mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with Mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. 
So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MatsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And as promised earlier in the show... We are bringing back tennis across America, and we are going to Missoula, Montana. Matt, we were there a couple of weekends ago for one of the more um, amazing pro-ams that I think either one of us have played in in quite some time. You were the headliner, along with the Jensen brothers and Robert Kendrick, Jesse Witten, Brenda Schultz-McCarthy. The event was run by Director of Tennis Scott Potter from the Peak health and wellness and racket club in missoula and that that was some weekend that we had was it not yeah it was incredible um for me being only a six-hour drive uh from there my daughter went to the university of montana so she's a grizz as they're called up there she spent three years there and then finally get up there and play a tennis event so it was an excellent event really fun unfortunately i did not get uh, a W, but I'm not good at programs, Andy. Well, I was going to get to that in just a minute, uh, but let's talk to Scott Potter, the director of tennis there at Peak. And Scott, this is an event that has been 10 years in the making. Uh, this is your your brainchild, and it's really something that is a labor of love for you. It benefits the Watson Children's Shelter, and just kind of talk about all of the different moving parts to bring this thing together to become something that really needed to get some attention from part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network like we're doing today. Well, Andy, first of all, thanks so much, and Matt, for having me on your show. Uh, when we moved and built the, uh, the Racket Club in 2010, I, I wanted to do something for the community, and uh, this event has grown to now, with you guys coming last weekend, we had 32 pros and amateur pairings, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really all about the charity and what we're trying to do, and it, it, there are so many moving parts to it. Um, yeah, it's been a labor of love. It's, uh, you know, been a lot of work, but, you know, nothing comes easy. And, and it's that's what's what, why it's such a successful event. We all work hard to make it make it the event that it is. And my my partner, Matt Munding, is is uh, on with us as well. And Matt's made a pretty good point in that, you know, he didn't get the W. In fact, when you and I woke up on Sunday morning, Matt's Vlander was in the losers bracket. Robert Kendrick was in the losers bracket. Jesse Witten losers bracket. Scott Potter, I believe, was in the losers bracket. <laughs> Brenda Schultz McCarthy, and that, and the, and yet there you and I are in the semifinals to take the court against the aforementioned Murphy Jensen, who we were talking about a little earlier in the show, and we had we had a rare opportunity and a treat to be able to uh, bust out to the semifinals of this thing and take on one of the Jensen brothers, a former French Open champion. Welcome to the show, Matt. 
Thank you. Thanks for having us. and appreciate it. So talk about the experience of, of playing in a pro-am like this. And it's one thing to go out there and play against teaching pros like myself. It's like, that's, you know, that's fun, whatever. But to go out there and play against Murphy Jensen, uh, that, that had to be extra special. It was for me, for sure. Yeah, it was truly amazing. And it was really fun, though. He was such a great uh, sport about playing and uh, balancing play aggressive but not overly aggressive and just he just made it really enjoyable really fun it was really a great time well Matt, you you made the comment uh as we were heading into missoula there's an art to playing in these pro-ams and uh it seemed like we had a group of guys there yourself included that really understands that it's more about being a gentleman than it is about winning these matches but at the same time we've got people that are going pretty deep into their pockets and they kind of enjoy the potential of maybe winning a few matches. So it's kind of a tough balancing act for you guys, isn't it? It's actually uh, quite nerve wracking for the pros as well, because a, you don't know your partner. Um, You don't know how keen your partner is to, to think that he's going to walk home with the event because he's playing with you, Andy. Uh, (laughs) And you don't know if, if they get disappointed or not. But I think for the pros, I always found that, the pros in general, we're all going to play pretty much at the same level. Uh, we're not going to uh, take over the court. We try not to make any unforced errors. And we basically try and leave it up to the amateur to win the event. We try not to make any mistakes. But, uh, and it's not, it's not that easy, but it's really fun. I mean, my question to you, Scott, basically is, I mean, is this something that you think most clubs can do? Are members keen to help out if they feel like they're doing something good? Well, absolutely they do, Matt. And one of the guys that played in the, as an amateur said, uh, I go to a lot of these charity events and usually it's just a, it's a live auction and a silent auction. If you guys, but what we provide in this, in this event is, is actually action. You get to play matches. There's, there's raffles, there's clinics, there's private lesson options for the, with those grand slam pros. And, and, and it, it's ex- extremely gratifying to be able to do something like this and, and see your members get behind it um, and, and come through for, for a great charity, for sure. Before we go, Scott, I just want to congratulate you on raising in this event, I believe it was over $100,000 for the Watson Children's Shelter. And it was really an amazing team effort. You know, Matt's pointed out uh, everything that, that is required to, uh, to put something on like this, and you do an amazing job. And it's, you know, it's the people like Angie over at the shelter and Susie Turner, who uh, is uh, the director, I believe, of uh, of Peak uh, Health and Wellness, along with the likes of, you know, young tennis pros like Devin Sakura and Ethan Vaughn, who are just such gentlemen. And you can tell that the the juniors in, uh, in, in Missoula, Montana, are in great hands working with guys like that. Jason Brown coaching collegiately and uh, getting an opportunity to play with his student, young Remy. Uh, from Missoula, Montana, who you'll be hearing much more about, a 14-year-old girl who hits a beautiful ball. Uh, so lots of great folks down there uh, that need to be mentioned. We had an opportunity, Matt, to play golf uh, at both the Missoula Country Club and the Stock Farms, joined by the likes of uh, of Chris Nord uh, and, uh, and, and Ron Ramsey. So we were really in great hands down there, and they treated us so well. So what an incredible time. Uh, what an incredible event and uh, can't wait to go back next year. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate that very much. It's uh, it's an honor to put this on and, and to be a part of your show. And um, I know just, just from, as a side note, I know uh, uh, 
you, you talked about Murphy earlier on. So uh, from the from the community of Missoula and the tennis community, uh, we'd like to send out thoughts and prayers to the Jensen family all across the board. Um, and uh, to, to, to Murphy, heal up quick, bud. We look forward to seeing you in the future. And, uh, and again, Andy th- and Mattson, thank you so much for having us today. It was our pleasure, Scott. Welcome back, everybody. Want to thank Scott Potter and Grant again. Great job, Scott, on the pro-am that you did. Matt Lander, the main headliner, along with the Jensen brothers, Robert Kendrick, Jesse Witten, Brenda Schultz McCarthy. It was just an amazing event hosted in Missoula, Montana. And Matt, we look forward to going back next year. All right, let's turn our attention, guys, to the ladies' game. We thought things were a little topsy turvy. Early in the year, when Jennifer Brady busted out to the Australian Open final, Barbora Krychikova wins the French Open. Obviously, we have this incredible run at the U.S. Open of Cinderella stories. I mean, I don't even really know what direction this ladies' tour is going right now. Mats Vlander, I'll start with you. If you have to have a gun to your head, or a camera in front of you or a microphone in front of you for Eurosport and somebody says to you, what was the most compelling story in women's tennis in 2021? Is it Emma Well, um, I would think you have to say the U.S. Open because really uh, the first event back since COVID hit where they allowed uh, a full house uh, people were they were having so much fun uh, in, in the in the stadium, the fans everywhere. And then you have these two teenagers that come out and they play absolute fearless tennis. Let's not forget Ash Barty. Right. Ash Barty winning Wimbledon, being the world number one. I mean, that was an incredible victory. But we thought maybe that would mean that she's going to start dominating maybe a little bit more. But I have to say that it's not a it's not a sign of weakness by any means by these top players. It's a sign that the, the women's game is so good. It's so deep in talent. Uh, everybody is physically stronger. Every year they hit the ball a little bit harder. And the most important part for me, I think, is that everybody is has a serve these days that is a weapon. And even the girls that don't serve great, it's somewhat of a weapon uh, and they can dictate with the second shot. And that's something that we haven't really seen ever in women's tennis across the board. Of course, with Venus and Serena Williams that happened. And, and can I say how excited I am about that story? King Richard, that uh, is something that I'm going to go out and actually enjoy so much. I got to come and go and see that. So women's tennis is has an upswing right now, I think. Are we, are we sort of lack of a superstar? Maybe. But I think, I think they're very, it's very healthy right now. There's a lot, a lot of great players and interesting matchups. It's been real interesting, Johnny, to see the ascension of Raducanu and Fernandez at the U.S. Open and to just, you know, and to just flash like comets at that tournament. Yet we've watched Coco Goff have a taste of that at age 15, uh, making it to, to the second week of a major and to have a good run at the U.S. Open uh, back a couple of years ago, but really now she has found herself, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of tasted some real life out on the tour and she's been grinding out there all year going into 2022. If, if these three girls were each a stock that you could buy, who would you have a tendency to maybe want to invest in of the three with Goff, 
Raducanu and Fernandez based on what you've seen from all three of them? Fernandez might be the one in the sense that she's got the most experience. Well, I don't know. I mean, Goff has been out there a little bit too, but it seems that uh, Fernandez has been able to, uh, to really play well after the U S open. I think that uh, we're not sure where Raducanu is at. She doesn't have a coach right now. I'm I'm sure she'll be back and she'll be, uh, you know, winning a lot of matches, a lot of tournaments in the the near future. But I think she's struggling just a tad right now. Goff has really picked up her game. She's 23 in the world. I think she's headed to the top 10 very soon. Um, So, you know, I, I think, all three are great and they're all going to do well. They're very young. They have a lot of time left. You know, when you talk about the American women, you've got five women in the top 30 from, from the U S and one that is kind of, um, you know, a sleeper is Jessica Pagula. I mean, she's now uh, 20 in the world and, and has been on a terror this summer. Um, can she make it to the top 10? Probably. Um, you know, Danielle Collins is 30 in the world. She had a great summer. It's pretty exciting. And then Jen Brady getting to the finals of the Australian Open. Like Matt said, it's it. what's fun about the women's game, there's so many different players that can win a slam and they all have different personalities and different games. And it's just so much fun to watch. You never know who's going to win the next one. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm definitely rooting for these five Americans um, that are in the top 30 to, to have a great 2022. Matt, who would have thought that Johnny would make mention of five Americans in the top 30 and one of them would not be Sophia Kennan? Actually, she is. She oh, is. she is in the top 30. Yeah, she's 15. Oh, okay. The surprise, Andy, though, is where Serena Williams is not in that top five. That That's what's incredible at 40 in the world. And then, and then there's the story of Naomi Osaka and what direction that's going to go. Um, she says that she is going to stay away from tennis for a while. How long is that? What have your sources told you about what we might look for from Osaka in 2022, if anything at all? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything at all, um, about Naomi Osaka. I think she, she must probably should stay away for a while. And I guess when you start talking about these, these young girls, I mean, you, you, you hope that Emma Raducanu, that she, uh, is not going to suffer because of this. Because if you if you listen to what Naomi Osaka has said, uh, it kind of started when she won that U.S. Open against Serena Williams, and and ever since then she's been struggling. So for Emma Raducanu, I mean, obviously she had some uh, some uh, uh, physical issues at Wimbledon where she couldn't finish her match um, against Alia Tomjanovic, but she came back, of course. But for Coco Goff, I guess this is what I what what I uh, what I think. I think it's good for Coco Goff that she hasn't won one. She hasn't made a final and she's slowly crawling up in the rankings. And maybe she'll even get to a top 10 ranking before she has a great Grand Slam result. So so that she um, uh, is comfortable in the environment the day she does win a slam. And it's not such a big deal, because if you're going to win 10, 12 Grand Slams, winning the first one, it's not that big a deal, actually. But uh, if you never had your sights on it and you suddenly win one like Emma Raducano, at least nobody else thought, 
uh, it comes as a big surprise and it's not easy to bounce back. So I really like the way Coco Goff uh, is moving in the rankings, the way she plays, very mature, very physical. I am convinced she'll win one because she's, I think, as good as the, the Raducanos and Fernandez. Uh, she just hasn't done that well uh, in a slam, but she's she's going to win one. And then obviously, Johnny, end of the year, we talked about it. Paula Badosa, another one who uh, who flashed at the end of the year, winning at Indian Wells, beating Victoria Azarenka. And who knows what we might see from Vika going forward, because when we watched her play at Indian Wells, she looked as fit as ever. She looked as fierce as ever. We talked about it in our last show, but this Paula Badosa, uh, you can only imagine after the amount of time that she has spent on the tour to finally break through and win at Indian Wells, what that might ignite within her to be a challenger um, in similar fashion to what we've seen from some of these other girls in 2021 that, that broke out to the semis of majors or better. Yeah, no question. Badosa is definitely one of the ones that uh, could win a slam. I mean, these girls are just, uh, they're all so competitive and there doesn't seem like anyone is really you know, leaving the field. I mean, we thought maybe Ash Barty would, but, but they're so athletic. They all serve well. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to, to, to go to these slams and, and not know who, you know, it's not going to be one of three people. It's going to be one of maybe 30 people. Um, I know we talked about Americans in the top 20. We've got a Swede in, I think her name is Peterson Matz, who's maybe 60 or 70 or 80 in the world. And she's always been a good player. I saw her play at the Italian Open a couple of years ago. And I like her game a lot as well. Yeah, you know what I really think? Yeah, yeah, she's a Rebecca Peterson. She's a good player. What I really like is that, and I think that Daniel Medvedev did it on the men's side now. I think there must be 15, 20 guys on the ATP tour that actually believe that, hey, I can win a major as well. If Novak Djokovic is not dominating uh, and without Roger and Rafa, I think there's a lot of players just like on the women's tour. I mean, you're watching... Uh, the, the players like Elena Svitolina, Annette Contavate. I mean, these women, they have to believe that they can win a slam. And, and can you imagine the motivation that brings them in the everyday business of a being a professional tennis player? Because I think, you know, in my day, for example, there was four or five guys, maybe. Johnny, you could correct me because you played. But it wasn't that easy. You got to beat Landall. You got to beat McEnroe. With Roger and Rafa, no, you got to beat Roger, you got to beat Rafa, you got to beat Novak. When Serena Williams was there, it was Serena, Venus, Maria Sharapova. And now suddenly there is at least 20, 30 women, I would think, uh, that you have to pick from. And on the, on the men's side, it's the same thing. So uh, we're not going to have uh, as, as the same superstars that we've had over the last 15, 20 years, maybe. But the matchups and the rivalries and the unknown going into these big tournaments, to me, so exciting, of both men and women. Before we go, Mats Vlander has made the statement recently that if Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal were all to retire soon with 20 majors each and right off into the sunset, that that would be okay. He would be okay with that. And the question is, are the people that are really, really close to the sport okay with it? But does that mean that mainstream sports fans would be okay with it? That's going to be the question. Will there still be interest in tennis the way the three of us and hopefully the people that are listening to our show are interested in it? 
that will that will will, will carry the day uh, once these three guys are gone. That's going to be the interesting part. You've got your Carlos Alcarazes, and you've got some people that are playing a ferocious brand of ball. The question is, will they be able to to really grip and hold on to these tennis fans around the world? We will address that the next time we see everybody. In the meantime, we got Paris to get to. we got the race to Turin and the holiday season. Enjoy your tennis out there from KickServeRadio.com. I'm AZ for Matt and Johnny. We'll catch you next time on the courts.